0: There were so many books in former state representative Larry Swoboda's home in Luxembourg, Wisconsin, that near the end of his life, when the local community was unable to raise the needed funds to start a small library, he donated enough of his own collection to start a small library in a room at the local town hall. I must say, that was one of the best stories about Larry that could ever be told. What a grand and lasting statement about someone who understood the power of a book and the joy to be found within its covers. This, I feel, is the ultimate tribute to the man I knew. There were many afternoons while working with Larry at the Wisconsin State Capitol that he would come out to my desk and say, Should we take a little walk? I was never aware of any other legislator or staff having a regular routine like ours, and so it felt often like slipping out of class to play hooky when the sun was out and the warm breezes were blowing. Should we take a little walk? Well, that was a cue that we were heading down State Street to the many used bookstores that lined the way. These were some of my favorite haunts the first years I lived in Madison. Searching through the large array of topics and delights that lined the shelves made me very aware I needed an eighth day of the week to be invented just to read. The stores had that warm, musty scent of old books that I've always found appealing. The stacks would rise way over my head and often require the use of a small step ladder or a climb on a nearby chair. Larry and I would browse and then compare what we had found and walk back to the office where we would complete the tasks left for the day. Those excursions were some of the fondest memories I have of the time we spent together. Even after the differences that would separate us in the years to come, I still have a most genuine smile about the walks that always increased the physical height of my bedside book-reading pile. This is Doty Land. Conversations from the Madison Isthmus. Here is Gregory Humphrey. Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Dotyland from the Madison Isthmus. I'm so glad that you are all along with me today. While we're recording this on a Sunday night, it is cloudy. It's been one of those great January evenings and days just to sort of sit inside and drink coffee and podcast. So I'd like to welcome you. For those of you wondering exactly where I am in relation to Madison, I am 67 footsteps from the shoreline of Lake Monona and about six blocks from the Madison Capitol. And, oh, the state capital is a mighty special place. Not only does it look beautiful in the nighttime sky, but it has been the place where many really, truly... Giants from the state have come down to make their mark on Wisconsin politics and to say a thing or two on the Senate floor or the Assembly floor that has been written down in the history books. There are not many, sadly, however, who under the dome still recall the great quotes of State Senator Lloyd Kincaid. He was known for some of the most memorable and often quoted malapropisms that took place in the building. He had cranky charm, and whenever people knew that he was going to be on the floor to give a talk, people would listen from their boxes in the office, or they would come to the Senate floor and watch in person. It was, after all, Kincaid who made the suppository famous in a political context, when he stated, As long as I am in the Senate, there will not be a nuclear suppository in my district. Some of the other Kincaid lines that made for lots of smiles for years at the Capitol included this is a good health care bill. Take it from one who survived a terminal heart attack. And the famed quote about a bypass always brought a lot of laughter to The people in my district do not want this highway bypass, no matter if it goes through or around the city. Yes, there have been very, very many people who have come down to Madison and put their mark on the place and also left a lot of fond memories as well. And we're going to be talking about the Wisconsin State Legislature with a woman who worked there when it was a part-time governing operation. And we're going to be talking about that and some of the memories of individuals who worked under the Dome as well. I would like to just take a moment to thank some of the people who have responded to this podcast, either with an email or with a Facebook posting, and I would like to share with you a couple of those types of individuals and what they had to say. I'm very much appreciative of them. And don't forget, you can always go to Dotyland at Facebook and communicate with me and also get more material and context about the shows and episodes and the people that are interviewed. One of the individuals that responded kindly, I might say, and you can also respond in any fashion you want, kindly or otherwise, but the ones that have been uh, uh, responding to me thus far have been favorable. Great podcast on radio broadcasting. Very much enjoyed it. When I think of my most enjoyable early memories of radio, Paul Harvey and Casey Kasem stand out as favorites. Great finish with closing thoughts and the WKRP Thanksgiving classic episode. This next one is really very special. Gregory, I have to tell you this. Although I do a lot of media listening on my iPad, including radio, either the NPR app or the TuneIn radio app, and I listen to your podcast on Spotify, every morning I listen to an hour of NPR using a GE Spacemaker radio that my mom bought me in the 1970s. When my mom moved into a retirement community, it was among the things she left behind. I was getting rid of that kind of stuff for her, but when I held this radio in my hands, I suddenly saw it in a completely different way. Here was this magical device that would allow me to tune into local radio entirely in secret. No one in the world could possibly track me or know when I was tuning in or what I was listening to. It was an incredible feeling of liberation. Every time I turn it on, I feel positively subversive. It works perfectly. Periodically, the tuner will slip a bit and the sound gets static, but I just adjust the dial and back we go. It seems really appropriate that you began your first podcast with an account of Ham Radio. Offline Radio lives. What a great response, and thank you for participating and letting me know how you feel. Well, we also have a lot of feedback that is on the, well, more interesting side, shall we say, including this one. I love the Ham Radio interview. I listened to the one last night when I was in the bathtub. Does it bother you that I listen to you naked? I've got a body for radio listening. Well, some people say I have a face for podcasting. So she also then adds this line, This is odd, but I like the beeps in between the first two podcasts. The teletype noise. I really enjoyed that as well. As I said, today's guest is going to be an individual who worked in the state house when it was a part-time legislature. And I would like to just throw in a few facts to warm us up for that interview. State legislators in Wisconsin are among the highest paid in the country. Wisconsin state senators and representatives make a base salary of $53,000 per year. That is ninth highest among the 50 state legislatures. Wisconsin is one of the smallest states to have a full-time legislature at about 5.8 million residents, Wisconsin ranks 20th in population and yet finds itself in the same position as much larger states such as California, New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, and even Massachusetts. Though lawmakers' $53,000 annual salary may be on the high end for state legislator jobs, it's less than the state's median household income of $56,579, that is according to the U.S. Census. And with that, we're all ready for our interview. That's coming up right after this. There are many ways to talk about the Wisconsin State Capitol and what takes place under the Dome. Looking at it from the rear view mirror is what we will do today with Jan Grunwald from Madison, who worked there for a number of years, starting when the legislature was part time. So I'd like to welcome you to the Roundtable in Dodieland.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: So I'd like to start off on kind of a personal note. Um, Do you remember, do you recall how you felt when you were walking into the Capitol those first days when you started working and knowing that you were going to the state capitol to work was it something that just made you feel well how did it make you feel
1: oh I I felt like I was going to be embarking on something really special Um, you know all I've ever heard in the past is working in the capitol is a really big deal and and um, I was going to be part of it I've always been interested in politics and so that that kind of fed that part of my nature as well so I was
0: really kind of proud to be walking in those doors and Do you know what your mom or dad felt? You grew up in, much like I did, a rural part of Wisconsin. And did they say, wow, my daughter's working at the state capitol. Did they ever express to you their pride in what you were doing?
1: Well, I don't know that they expressed directly to me, but I did... You know, hear from friends of theirs who said, "Oh, your mom or your dad, you know, said you were working in the Capitol, and they seem, you know, really happy about that, or or proud of that." And you know, I mean, they never said it to me directly, but I knew it. You know. And I
0: mean, I, I, I can echo echo that. My dad would go to the local service station in Hancock where I grew up, and I would then come home and fill my gas uh put gas into my car and. The owner of the station would say, "Boy, your dad is really proud of you." But I never heard that directly from exactly. him. So
1: I, I think that's a generational thing. You you know that you didn't you didn't say it directly. I don't know how many times I you know I always knew my parents loved me. Right. But I don't remember hearing it. Right. You know the words. So I think that's a generation thing.
0: And not being able to <laughs> speak openly and honestly about feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. So you arrived at the Capitol at a really interesting time. And there are people in academia that um, look at the merits of part-time legislatures and full-time. And and if one does look at both sides, there are pros and cons to each. But you started out when the Wisconsin State Legislature um, were made up of men and uh, women who worked either as lawyers, farmers, small business people, whatever, and then also were elected to represent their constituents. So they were not there full-time, which is different than how it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you see, as you look both in terms of what's happened in our state since the days you started the Capitol, do you find that there's a positive or a negative? Which direction do you think is best for perhaps the state of Wisconsin to go when it looks at how the legislature serves in terms of its part or full-time function?
1: Well, I start as you said, I started out when they were part time, and um, the legislator that I started working for at the time was a teacher, so he had to go home after they were out of session and fulfill his duties there. Um, I, I, you know, my personal feeling is that it worked better when it was a part time legislator. Later, uh, the the legislators uh, were worked together more um, across party lines. You didn't see the um, uh, animus that you see nowadays, the the um, the bitterness and anger and and uh, and everything like that. Then too, they they kind of worked together and they worked um, in a bipartisan manner. Um, I remember days, you know, sitting in a conference committee for the budget committee, Democrats on one side, Republicans on the other side. I you know I'm sitting behind my legislator and and you know they're the Republican side, okay. If you want that, we'll we'll we need to get this. Okay, we'll do that. And you know, you saw that all the time. Granted, you know they had their their certain things that they wouldn't give up on, and and that sort of thing. But it worked better. And at the end of the day, we all went out and had a drink together. You know, I mean, it, it was, it you know, it it just worked better. And also for they weren't in session so much. And so because they had jobs to get back to, they had to get back to those jobs. And that reminds them of the fact that they too are one of we the people. They have jobs and they have to fulfill whatever that job is. And so they had to get back home and get their job done.
0: When the part-time legislature uh, was in session, did they have all-night sessions? Or is that something that is more... Uh, prone to the fact that full-time legislature is um maybe more unwieldy than a part-time do you recall staying there and getting up uh to have office hours when the sun was coming up
1: um i personally do not you know a staff person wasn't um as involved in a legislator's um Uh, business legislative business I was uh, you know granted greatly involved in committee business but not so much the legislative side of the thing if they were staying up all night that didn't mean I had to and if they were coming in early that didn't mean I had to unless he sometimes they requested it you know and I, I would do that so
0: I remember in um so I started in 1987 um in the state assembly, and the budget session never seemed to end. And there was one Friday night that went into um, Saturday morning, and there are large windows in uh, a room just adjacent to um, the uh, place, the assembly chamber, where all of the legislators sit. And uh, the big windows were up because there, uh, at that time, was no air conditioning in the building. And the farmer's market always operates around the Capitol Square each Saturday morning. And I see all these trucks and vendors setting up, and I'm thinking, wow, this is so different. And then I'm thinking also how um, I'm feeling kind of tired and weary and a little punchy because I'm drinking too much coffee. But what must the legislators be um, undergoing in terms of they need to make decisions and think clearly and one really does have to sit and ponder whether that's an efficient way to make laws, let alone the state budget every year or every two years.
1: It's not efi- its not an efficient way of doing it, but it is um, a great way to arm twist. You know, <laughs> if, if you're you're tired, okay, <laughs> okay, I'm just going to vote for this thing because I want to go home and get some sleep, you know, or whatever, you know. But um, yeah, I think it's more arm twisting techniques. You know, when they're a part-time legislature they would stay in all night and and it was the only thing I can remember that they would stay in overnight for was a budget and um, I don't ever recall any other thing that they might have done so but it wasn't as prevalent as it is now so um, yeah
0: I remember one of those all-night sessions, uh, and it stands out in my mind because he was a very attractive, handsome man, a legislator from the Stevens Point area, Stan Grzynski. And I always liked him because he, he really always had a lot of policy ideas in his head. But he came out of one of the Democratic caucuses, and they were heading back onto the floor to do some voting. And he looked like well, hell warmed over. Mm-hmm. He had been up, like, for hours and hours, many hours, and uh, I could just see it on his face, and I can still see in my mind how he looked, and he still had to function and carry all the responsibilities of his constituents on his shoulders to vote, and I thought, this is just not a humane way or a smart way to do legislating.
1: No, it isn't, and especially, you know, if, if a legislator, you know, ha- has a certain viewpoint on, on an issue you know they, they might just give in to the opposition just because like i said they're tired and they want to go home and they just don't care anymore <laughs> i mean i you know i've granted they do care but um you know how you get when you get so overly tired you just all right just give in and you know let it go
0: and you so. brought up something a few uh, minutes ago that uh, really struck um, at the end of the day you may do all sorts of different uh, bills and have different points of view and party differences and Even some personal differences. But at the end of the day, the legislative process shuts down, and you might go for a drink, a beer, to one of the uh, places around the Capitol. It's almost impossible today, um, any week, pick a week, pick a day, um, where news articles in the paper don't underscore the rancor that exists within the legislature, within the parties, within uh, the different branches of government. And when I was in the assembly, it was remarkable how many friends I had on the Republican side of the aisle. And I think I had probably, if I counted them, more friends on the GOP side, staffers, uh, than I did on the Democratic side. It might have been because I worked for a a conservative Democrat from a rural area, so I had a bit of an affinity, if you will, for maybe staffers like-minded on the Republican side. But um, today it's just so rough and tumble in the political world, but it doesn't have to be that way.
1: No, it, I, I really don't think so, and I personally think um, that a lot of it has has to do with the fact that uh, they are full time legislators. I mean that that the salary that they're making in the legislature is what their family depends on to live on, what they depend on, you know, um, helping th- with their families and everything. And so, you know, there's more more um, of a chance that that things get so partisan because they have to get reelected. I think some of the uh, uh, corruption with the money and everything comes because of that as well. Um, if they if they need their salary to support their families, then um, then it's going to be rough on them. You know if they if they don't follow a certain line or if they need money and they don't get it because. You know, they, they have a different viewpoint and that sort of thing. And they have to worry, well, if, I got to do this to get reelected. You know, it's always in, in the House of Representatives, you know, they, they only have two-year terms. You know, once you get into the legislature, you're campaigning for your next election.
0: And the rush to make money and raise mm-hmm. money and to mm-hmm. depend on lobbyists and then the, the lobbying that takes place to make sure that certain pieces of legislation are passed. It is something I don't think most citizens contemplate or ponder uh, because it's not a, a sexy issue. It isn't sometimes easy for the news media to um, to present because there's no real video that goes with it to make for a good story on television news. But it, is, it does talk about the issues that you raise about the very foundation and essence of our democracy and our republic. So when you started at the Capitol, there was no air conditioning. Right. Um, <laughs> And uh, we all know how um, appreciative people are now to have air conditioning at the Capitol. You also worked in an environment where smoking uh, was, uh, they smoked in the building, correct? Yeah, and I
1: was a smoker at the time. I didn't quit smoking until 2001,
0: so. And it was also uh, something else that happened in the Capitol or was allowed to happen in the Capitol, and that is that some members of the legislature, some male members, took liberties and I'll use that word, and you can do, go forward with that as you will, with, with female staffers. Um, what can you tell my listeners about the culture that existed that is almost hard to believe could exist given where society has moved and where laws have moved? But what was it like um, for women at the Capitol when there were men that just didn't know how to control their hands?
1: Well, not necessarily their hands, but their mouths and their, you know, I mean, I remember the first, uh, the second day I was um, there, uh, when I first started, won't name names, but somebody walked in the office and my the legislator I was working for introduced me and, and he goes, oh, are you on the pill? You, you know, and I got all flush and I... Uh, The legislator I worked for got really angry about it and and threw him out of the office and told him not to to speak to me anymore. So that that helped. You know, I didn't have to do it myself. But, yeah, there there were instances uh, when I was, um, I think it was the second or third year I worked there, I was appointed at what they called a floor coordinator, somebody that... um, others, uh, the secretaries would report to if they were calling in sick and keep track of their vacations and and uh, mediate for them and that sort of thing. And I got into a, a tussle with a few legislators who thought that, um, you know, the, their their staff was kind of more like their property and they could talk to them any way they wanted and treat them any way they wanted and they had to be uh, set straight at several times. <laughs> so...
0: Were there ever um, times when uh, women staffers talked among themselves and said, we're not getting in an elevator with X, Y, or Z? I mean, did women ever um, band together in their uncomfortableness with some things that were taking place? Was there ever was it to that level that people talked among themselves and said, let's steer I personally, steer clear.
1: when I was um, uh, doing the floor co- coordinator job and I was um, – um, initiating some some of the and taking them around and stuff and i would talk to them about certain legislators that they needed to stay away from and um you know so uh i i i don't know if that was the right thing to do but i i just uh, some of these some of these uh girls that that came in as secretaries were very young and very naive and you know i just felt i needed to to let them know who to stay away from.
0: (laughs) And did leadership at that time um, ever do anything that looked like they were trying to rein in the problems, or was it just sort of, we don't see anything?
1: Yeah, I do remember one Speaker of the House who um, uh, several women reported to him about things that were happening to them and things that were going on with other women, and those legislators who were responsible for that got reined in, so... Um, and threatened possibly with their chairmanships and that sort of thing if they didn't tell the line. So.
0: so over the course of the many, many years that you worked there and uh, had a lot of interesting experiences and met a lot of dynamic and talented people on both sides of the aisle, if you could have coffee with someone or a couple of people perhaps that are either not with us anymore or perhaps many miles away and you just don't get to see them on a, uh, a, a very often, Are there some names that come to mind of people that really stood out to you and you'd like to have a chat with again, if possible?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Norm Anderson is one that that I greatly admired while I was there. Why? Um, Because he he, uh, was the best thing that um, ever happened as far as the speakership went I thought that he handled that job very very well and I thought that he handled personnel issues very well as as well too but um, I just thought he was a person of integrity and um, and common sense
0: and what side of the aisle was he was a Democrat Democrat mm-hmm. anyone else that comes to mind is someone that you'd like to say hello to again or have a chat with
1: yeah um, Jim Wayner, when he was majority leader uh, he did some wonderful speeches, as you remember. Um, all the uh, we all had speakers in our office of what was going on on the floor, and some days when he got up and he 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 did a speech, it was just <laughs> the most wonderful thing to behold and to hear. You know, I mean, um, a lot of a lot of the times if I he was up and you could tell that that this was going to be a good one, I'd go down to the floor just because I wanted to see him do it. I didn't just want to hear him. So, I and he's another one I thought that that um, had a lot of integrity and and he cared about uh, you know, he cared about um, people and and um, uh, social issues and that sort of thing. So.
0: And uh, when I think in those terms of who I'd like to have a conversation with again, two people uh, come to mind, one from each party, Terry Musser, a Republican who served on uh, the tourism committee. Uh, when uh, State Representative Larry Swoboda was the chairperson, um, Terry Musser was um, one of those individuals. Not everybody would talk to staffers. Not everybody thought they were on a sort of a equal standing if you were a legislator versus just somebody who worked in the building for the legislature. And Terry Musser was always one of those that um, gave time and attention, but just this wonderful sort of even-keeled, open, uh, conversational-type guy who also was a moderate Republican, which for me, was a, a winning point. And the other guy was Cletus van der Peren, who um, on some of those long nights when we were talking about the all-night sessions, um, would come out and talk to the staffers, the pages. Um, and that really struck me because uh, Clet would pull up a chair, there'd be a bunch of pages, uh, college students and young people that ran errands and did a lot, a lot of work for um, legislators. Um, Um, far more than sometimes um, they should have done, given some of the requests. But Cletus van der Peren would talk with these folks and talk about the meaning of legislation, the importance of knowing history, the importance of uh, being involved in the political process. And he could tell war stories because, well, at one time, and I think he still is the longest-serving Member of the state legislature. I think legislature. you're right.
1: I think he still is. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and from the Green Bay area. Green Bay area, and they called him Concrete Cleat because he got so many roads, so many built.
1: highways and roads built. Oh yeah, that was great. Right.
0: So I'd like to um, end our interview looking at the state capitol and, in part, the state of Wisconsin from thirty thousand feet. And I, I'd like to start it this way. Um, one of the most warming parts to the job that I had was when Larry was out of the building. And that, that isn't really a laugh line, but it's the truth, because when students would come from the district, they'd have a tour of the state capitol, and at the end of the tour, they'd all congregate within the state assembly. They'd all sit down where the uh, elected representatives sat, and um, if Larry was there, he'd come up and talk with the group, but if he wasn't there, I would get that opportunity. And it was one of those moments when, um, of all the things I did in the legislature, it it was a time that I could talk about history and civics and the importance of being involved, following news, and then, if they're high school students, making sure they line themselves up to get in the voting booth at the next election. So my question to you is, um, given where we are in the state of Wisconsin, and have been for a number of years with the rancor, the tribalism, the factionalism, and of course you can put that also across the United States as a whole, what do you think when it comes to teaching history and civics? Are we failing our students? Are we failing our state and our country by not stressing it enough? Are are we're wh-
1: failing, failing, failing? I I when I think back, when I was I went to twelve years of parochial school, and when I was in high school, we had one year of sociology and two years of civics, and um, you know, I I came out of high school knowing government operations inside and out. And I and you don't, you know. I noticed when my uh, oldest daughter was in high school, there was there was some, but not much. But by the time my youngest daughter was in high school, there was hardly anything. And um, I, I just think we're not, we're not uh, carrying on our responsibility of teaching our children about our government. I don't think they understand what's going on nowadays. Uh, when you talk to young people that are in high school and stuff unless they're very active in politics uh, or or government um, they don't know what's going on and, it, and it's really sad um, you know I felt like when I think back on on uh, on uh, government teaching when I was in high school um, it was all, very interesting and the teachers were very good about it too and and um, I, I don't know I, I feel really bad for these kids not not knowing what what's going on and uh, I don't I don't think a lot of them when I I ask young people questions too and name the three uh, levels of government very few of them get it or a um,
0: place when the Civil War was. Uh, exactly.
1: Or, you know. A history, that that's another thing that's lacking, too, you know. And when history is presented, I don't feel like it's presented in the correct way. So, um, you know, I think we've really failed our kids. I really do.
0: I guess that's why it, it's incumbent upon folks like you and me with a little experience, although we're very young. Uh, we've had experiences, and we need to press these issues with Um, our legislature, our elected officials, our school boards, and uh, keep the pressure on because it is teaching our students. They are our future, and if we miss the mark on the education, we've really put our state and our country at a disadvantage.
1: And that's exactly true.
0: I want to thank you, Jan, for being a part of the roundtable discussion here at Dotyland. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. I'm happy to do it.
0: What a grand time to have Jan at the round table for the Doty Land podcast. It was a great interview, bringing back lots of great memories. More of these memories and context for the show, this episode, and all the others can be found on the Doty Land Facebook page. I ask you to become a friend. I would like to leave you on an uplifting note, a good memory going back to 1987. That first morning when I walked to the Capitol in a blue suit from J.C. Penney for $99, I might add, a suit for which I still have the sales slip, as it remains a wonderful memento from that time in my life. The suit was part of a Christmas present from my folks, and whereas I never had up to that time much reason to dress up for work while working in radio, I was most eager to start a new trend. I had a nice red tie that said, I am here, which I had practiced tying numerous times that morning in the mirror, so that it looked just as I wanted. I almost, almost succeeded in tying a perfect Windsor. I should add again, almost. I did not succeed. I cannot give voice to the emotion that caught in my throat as I neared the Capitol Square, walking in the winter chill up the isthmus to the Capitol building that I had worked very hard to make my place of employment. The building is massive, imposing, but what it represents truly moves me. It moved me then, it moves me now. And I knew as I walked up those steps that first morning that all sorts of drama would be unfolding within the stoned walls. My mind surely rushed over the headlines in the paper that morning, and now I was about to be a small part of the process I found so captivating. I had changed my hairstyle considerably since leaving radio in Sturgeon Bay, combing it all back, so to look just a bit older and more seasoned, and that feeling was most confident within me, even with all the new surroundings closing around me. As I walked that morning to work, I was really in my element. That is something I have often thought about over the years since, and know it was meant to be that I was employed at the state house. I was really sure of myself, not in a cocky fashion, but just a most serene and sure-footed way. From the beginning, I just sensed I belonged there were in other jobs on the first day there were nerves. All I could feel that morning was pure excitement. That first day was filled with ceremony and pomp as the inauguration for a new governor, the entire assembly and half the Senate took place. There was a real sense of democracy unfolding that day, and it seemed the elected officials understood the higher purpose about why they had run for office as they raised their hands and swore an oath. That feeling would be evident to me each time inauguration day would take place. That one time in our frenzied political climate that our ideals seem to rise above partisanship, that is a good thing. It is almost as if a sense of renewal bathed the process, if only for a short time. That evening, Larry Swoboda, those close to his campaign, and I went out for dinner. Days later, politics would emerge again as a driving force in the building, but for a few hours, the first day, of my new job consisted of a most humbling mood, not only for the elected officials, but also for me. It was a long way, far more than miles, that had brought me from Hancock to a ground office floor that looked out onto State Street. That's how I want to end this podcast today. I thank you for being with me, and have a nice day, and thanks, and join me again for Doty Land.